Welcome to Trinity. We're a church family learning how to follow Jesus in the city of Nottingham. Our vision is to see the church on fire and the city alive. The reading this morning is from Revelation 2, verses 1 to 7. To the church in Ephesus. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven gold lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favour. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Well, good morning. Hello. Um, my name's Amy, for those that uh, don't know. Um, and uh, should we just pray before we begin? <clears throat> well, Holy Spirit, we, again, we just thank you for your presence here with us. We thank you for the gift of your presence that it is pure gift, pure grace, pure mercy. And we humbly um, come before you and we ask, Holy Spirit, would you speak right now? We pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive your word to us um, this morning. That you would change us, God. I pray that you would change us by your spirit. That you would make us more in love with you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay. Um, so, so my name's Amy, for those that don't know who are visiting. And, uh, and I'm married to Johnny, and we lead the church here together. And, uh, and our um, story, I guess, of getting together was we, um, we actually knew of one another uh, when we were little children. Isn't that sweet? Yeah, so um, my parents are friends with his parents, and we sort of grew up together. Um, but I didn't really know him very well at all, so we weren't, like, mates. Anyway, as the years went on, we both went to university, and uh, we ended up both being in London. And, uh, and we both ended up in a church in London. We both had jobs in London. And, uh, and we basically bumped into each other again in our sort of um, early 20s and uh, began to form a really great friendship. Uh, we became really good mates. 
Um, and that friendship, you know, got more than just friends, and, uh, and we started to fall in love. And, um, and in, our, um, in our sort of early dating, we were actually only um, together for a year. We, were, we dated for six months, and then we were engaged for six months, and then we were married. And, um, and in that sort of uh, dating period and in engagement, we lived in Queen's Park, uh, which is a wonderful place in London, and, uh, and we lived on parallel streets. So I lived in a house with some girlfriends, and he lived in a, in a house with some boyfriends, and, um, but it was like a two-minute walk from one another. Anyway, bit of context. Um, so the other day, Johnny and I uh, were having a little tiff, <laughs> uh, you know, as you do, a little marriage tiff. And, uh, and he reminded me <laughs> of uh, something I used to do. And, uh, and he was saying, I just remember the time um, when every Saturday morning, in that time that we lived in parallel streets, every Saturday morning, I would wake up early in the morning and walk to Starbucks which was like a five-minute walk to Starbucks. And I would go into Starbucks, and I would buy his favorite muffin, <laughs> which was an apple crisp muffin. I'd go and buy his muffin and a, and a coffee, and I would walk all the way to his house every Saturday morning, and I would put a muffin and a coffee, and a coffee, and a coffee uh, by his door. Um, so he would wake up to this muffin and coffee. Fifteen years later, <laughs> and four children, oh, how it's changed. Oh, my days. I don't do that anymore, and I kind of look back and I think, what? Did I, <laughs> did I actually do that? Anyway, we're talking about love uh, this morning, and, um, and as you know, we're in a series um, in Revelation. And, uh, and Johnny, the last two weeks, he has introduced us to this book, and he has given us uh, some context and a good introduction. And, um, and basically, in a nutshell, we know that uh, this book is written by John, and, uh, and he has been exiled to Patmos because he basically wouldn't worship the emperor. He would only worship Jesus, so he's been exiled and in his suffering, as Johnny said, he's crying out to God. He's crying out for his people, for his churches. He's crying out. And the Lord gives him this revelation. He gives this revelation. And Johnny spoke about this um, revelation being the unveiling. It's an unveiling of Jesus. Jesus is giving us a greater vision of himself. The whole book of Revelation is Jesus unveiling himself. And, uh, and if you remember last week, Johnny um, challenged us um, to have a bit of a think and measure our view of Jesus um, against the vision of Jesus we read about in chapter one. And I think we were all, well, I certainly was like, oh yeah, my vision of Jesus is so much smaller than the vision of Jesus written in Revelation. As if you miss any of that, like, go back and catch up, because we're going to be in Revelation for a, for a while. So keep on track um, with what we're talking about here. And so if last week, if Jesus, uh, sorry, if Johnny, Jesus, um, if uh, Johnny was talking about this unveiling of who Jesus is, today we're going to find out what Jesus thinks. <laughs> so last week, who Jesus is, and today we're going to find out what Jesus thinks. 
Okay, so chapter two, if you've got your Bible, we're basically just going to sort of make our way down. And um, in, in chapter two, which we're going to um, park in today, these, um, these two chapters uh, that we're going to be covering over the next few weeks, basically Jesus is speaking to um, seven churches. He's sending messages to seven churches. And as we know, as Johnny unpacked um, last week, but the number seven, it's... Um, it's basically um, part of biblical literature that symbolizes the number of completeness. The number of completeness. So what we can understand is that Jesus is speaking to the complete church as he covers these seven churches. He's speaking to the complete church. And, uh, and according to Daryl Johnson, who we've been um, camping out with quite a lot, um, he says these letters then embody every major issue which the church has struggled with in every age and in every cultural setting. So I think we should listen. I think we should listen to what Jesus is saying to these churches, to us, here and now. Okay, so the first church then that we come up against, that we're going to talk about today, is the church in Ephesus. And uh, what do we know about Ephesus? Well, um, Ephesus was the most um, influential city of all the seven cities. So of all the cities um, that we're going to be covering, Ephesus was the most influential. Um, and also the church then was also the most influential of all the seven churches. It's the, far, it's the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire. Um, so we're talking about a sort of world-class city. It was the financial center um, so people from loads of different nations um, ended up here, um, ended up in Ephesus because it had the most important seaport on the western coast of Asia. And so there were many different um, people, many different gods worshipped in this city. And so this letter is basically a letter written to disciples within cities, urban disciples, us, you know, this is, this is written to us as we come and we're part of the church within a city. And we know about this particular church. Um, we know that Paul planted it uh, and uh, he, he, he planted it and then left and left Priscilla and Aquila to, to come nurture and to, and to pastor it. But he then came back because it was such a strategic church that he came back and he preached there um, for a number of years. And people were giving their lives to Jesus all over the shop. You know, as we read in Acts, it was a powerful moment for the church. You know, they stopped, um, there was a moment where they stopped buying miniature statues of other gods, and it caused a dip in the economy, um, and then it created a riot. And so Paul left, and we know that Timothy uh, was then killed there, and then the apostle John became the pastor of this particular church. And by the time Revelation was written, Ephesus was the center of Christian movement. It was the center of Christian movement. You know, what a church. What a lineup of all those people a part of this church. You know, what a church. This is like magnificent. And I actually found out, I don't know whether this is totally true, but I found out, I think, um, go and check out for yourself, that even um, Mary, the mother of Jesus, she was at this church. <laughs> so if you talk about like Instagram, you know, the lineup of people who have invested in this church is incredible. So this is the context. This is the context to what Jesus is speaking. Okay, verse one then. What does he say? 
He said, these are the words of him, Jesus, who holds the seven stars in his right hand, basically meaning that he's holding the universe, as, um, as Johnny unpacked um, last week, he's holding the world, the universe in his hands. He's that powerful. And walks amongst the lampstands. And the lampstands mean here the church. It means that he's walking amongst his church. He's walking. He's weaving in and out. And Jesus knows all things. And as he's walking amongst them, he's watching. You know, he's knowing. He's, it's sort of like he's supervising his church. He's guarding his church. I was reflecting on this as I was reading it this week, and I was like, oh, gosh, you know, he's here. You know, he's here. He's with us by his spirit. He's, he's moving. He's watching. He's seeing what we can't see. He knows our souls. He knows our hearts. He sees things, and he wants to come by his grace and correct and restore and bring clarity. You know, it's a beautiful and scary thought, isn't it? And we need to be open to him speaking into that at all times. This is his church. Speak into this, God. And so what does he see as he's moving around, as he's walking amongst this church? What does he see? Well, verse 2 and 3 says, he says, I know your deeds. I know your hard work, church. I know your perseverance. I know that you can't tolerate wicked people. And that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered, you've endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Jesus is saying, I see all of that stuff. I see it all and brilliant. You know, these are words of praise. He's saying, well done. I see that you've endured. I see that you've done all these things in my name, that you're seeing wonderful acts among you. Well done, well done. You know, it's, it's a church buzzing with activity. You know, members are clearly involved. They're working hard to advance the kingdom. They're defending the faith. They're not growing weary. They're basically doing all the things that Paul told them to do. What on earth could be wrong? You know, what on earth could be wrong? You read that first bit and you're like, oh yeah, great. They're doing really, really well. Yet we get to four, verse 4, don't we? And verse 4 comes the word, yet. <laughs> Who's been in a meeting with a supervisor or a manager where they've come in and they've said all these amazing things about you and then you know the but is coming? <laughs> oh yeah. Yet, Jesus says, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. As he's walking amongst the church, he sees a flaw, a fundamental flaw. He sees, you know, what we can't. He sees through their activity. In all their wonderful activity, Jesus is telling them that there is a problem at the core of the church. The church has everything going for it, but missing the one thing Jesus deserves, first love. So what's first love? I'm going to ask that question. What even is first love? You know, the word is agape in, in Greek, and it's, um, it's not a feeling, but if you unpack this word, it's a, it's a sacrificial, self-giving love. You know, when he's talking about first love, it's the love you have for Jesus when you first 
meet him, when you give yourself over to him, when you received that love, the salvation, the rescue, do you remember that overwhelming feeling? You know, I know for me, when I was 21, um, and you've heard my story so many times, but I gave my life to Jesus, and, um, and I was desperate, absolutely desperate for him. You know, I needed something to come and just show me that you're real. And I begged him to make himself known to me. And I was filled with such an overwhelming sense of his love for me. And the love that I received from him changed everything. Changed absolutely everything. To know that I was loved and that he is real and he is who he says he is completely changed my whole life. And you, uh, people around me can testify that I became an absolute crazy lady, like serious crazy. I was like, you know, evangelizing to all my friends. Literally, my uni friends had to tell me to like, can we go out for dinner? But promise me you're not going to talk about Jesus. <laughs> I would literally like speak about him. I couldn't get enough of um, spending time with him. I would, on my ways to work, I was just couldn't get enough of the Bible, just kept on reading, so desperate to learn about him and to find out who he was and, you know, wanting to hear his voice and learn to hear where he want, you know, what he wanted for my life. Every decision I had to make, I remember just sitting in my bed like this. What's the right call? What's the right decision? You know, everything was about him. Everything was about him. You know, there was this beautiful intimacy, affection, devotion, a dedication. You know, I wanted wanted, um, him to have all parts of my life. I wanted his purposes for my life. There was this sort of reckless abandon, like a sort of didn't care looking like a complete idiot for him. There was this foolishness that emerged within me because it was like, I just don't care. I've just totally fallen in love with Jesus. And so I think first love is that. Like even as we go through this morning, just remember, what did it feel like when you first fell in love with Jesus? But I think first love is also our order of loves. You know, Matthew, Jesus says, you know, that you can't serve two masters. You love one and you hate the other. You know, this is a question he's asking to the church. Do you love Jesus above everything else? Is he Lord of your life? Is he your first love? Or is money your first love? Are your relationships your first love? Your career your children. And I think he's saying to the church that they're doing all this great stuff, yet they're not in love with Jesus any longer. The intimacy, the affection, and the devotion has gone. So how does it happen? You know, we're talking about church, but we're also, I'm certainly stirred this week so much like, oh, am I that? Am I that person that I was, I just described? You know, how do we fall out of love with him? How do we forsake our first love? And it's really interesting that as I've been looking at this, the word for forsaken um, in Greek actually means, it means a voluntary release. 
It means to neglect. It means to ignore or actively leave behind. So this is on our part. He's saying this is on us. You've forsaken me. I'm still here. You've left me behind. We haven't lost him. We've abandoned. We've walked. We've ignored. And so he's saying to the church, you've left your first love and you've taken on activity. And you've lost your eternal value. The eternal value is gone. You know, the church in Ephesus grew and became more and more competent, more and more competent in their activity, and they've left Jesus behind. And I read this week that someone wrote um, that, that the church in Ephesus focused their, focused their attention on being more doctrinally sophisticated <laughs> and the simple act of love slipped away. I'm like, I'm so frightened by that thought. It's such a frightening thought. And I think it's a warning to us all. It's a warning to us as individuals and as a group, as the church, for us at Trinity Church Nottingham in 2023. You know, can you relate to this? Doing the stuff for the Lord, but leaving him behind. Ignoring him. And as I've been thinking about, um, you know, the moment that I encountered him, I was so desperate. You know, I couldn't do life on my own. That's what happened. I was so broken. I couldn't do anything. I was in such need of um, some intervention, some breakthrough. That when I um, received his love, it was overwhelming. And I think as the years have gone by, if I look back over the years, you know, he, he brings redemption, doesn't he? He restores, in his beautiful grace, he brings order into the chaos, doesn't he? He brings healing, he restores relationships. He gives us ability to do stuff, confidence in him. And as the years go on, you know, I think sometimes we sort of crack on, right? Our competence, you know, a little bit more confident. So, like, oh, my relationships are actually working all right now. Don't feel as broken as I did in whenever it was. And we build this sort of like, oh, do you know what? I'm doing all right. And we've completely forgotten that we're still, I am still that broken 21-year-old that needs to sit at Jesus' feet and ask him for everything. Because nothing is worth anything without Jesus. So what do we do? <laughs> what do we do? Do you all just <laughs> feel awful? No, we don't. Uh, it's good. So what do we do? You know, Jesus is so kind, isn't he? He's so kind. And he's spoken this to the, um, the church in Ephesus. And we're, we're hearing him speak to us um, this morning. And he's given us a way, hasn't he? In his mercy, he's given us a way to, for this to be redeemed, for this to be realigned, for this to be made new. And so if we jump to, we're on verse 5, if you're following. He says, firstly, he says, consider. He says to all of us this morning and to me, consider how far you have fallen. 
Ask the Lord. I ask you to ask the Lord this day, this week. Ask him to search you. Ask him to search you. That's why we ask him to search us, because he sees what we don't see. He sees where we have walked away. And bring it before the Lord. Bring it before Jesus. You know, this is, like I said, this is mercy. This isn't condemnation. If you want to run and hide and escape, that's not the Lord. That's shame. That's the enemy leading you into shame. This news should bring about grace and mercy and a hope that I can be in love again. Receive that. Ask the Lord to search me. Come and search me, God. Give you everything. I give you that part of me that isn't putting you first. Have we let anything get in the way of our undivided pursuit of Jesus? That's what we're called to, an undivided pursuit of him. Where we're in, where, you know, where are we in love with other gods? Perhaps we're worshipping activity, or we're getting a buzz out of the power of it. Or we're worshipping the results or work or financial gain, or even fear of man. Where do you care so much more about what people think than what God thinks? It's a distorted love. But we don't want to get stuck in consider, because we could be considering all day, right? But Jesus gives us a way through again. He says, consider how far you have fallen and repent. Now, repentance is this beautiful and wonderful gift of grace. It is the... um, Oh, it's the invitation to a new beginning. It's a mercy. His, new, his mercies are new every morning. It's like, oh, I get to try again. <laughs> and this means to turn around. Turning means to put the focus back on him. And it involves a prayer, yes, a prayer of repentance. We, you know, we say sorry and all of that. But it also means intentionality. To really turn means to change. It means to have a good look at your life. Daryl Johnson writes, he says, turning involves changing schedules, changing habits, changing commitments, all in order to restore intimacy. That's what repentance is. It's not just a prayer. It's a decision to change the way that you're doing life. And thirdly, Jesus says, consider, repent, and do the things you did at first. What did you do at first? I don't know what you did at first. <laughs> you have to ask the Lord, ask the Spirit, what is, what is, how does my life look different to how it did in the beginning? He's asking to have a seat in our lives. And if we're really honest, how many of us have squeezed him out of certain parts of our lives? He's asking us to make room, to seek him in everything. Give him everything again. Depend on him for everything. And I think one of the keys here to do the things you did again is to receive his love afresh. You know, make room every day, every day, whenever it is, however it is, doesn't matter. Make room every day to receive 
the gospel again. (laughs) To receive the truth of his unbelievable love for you. Like, do you know in do you know in your Noah that he is utterly crazy about you? That he loves you more than you can possibly imagine? Are you drinking in that truth? Because we love because he's first loved us. It's Christ's love in us that compels us, isn't it? So we need to make room to receive that love afresh. Read the scriptures, whatever it is, receive the love that you received at first. And bringing him all parts of our lives. I really felt um, this morning when I was thinking about this, um, particularly, I really felt the Lord say um, to build intimacy moments. Build intimacy moments. Build intimate moments. Intimacy moments. These are the moments that only he and you see. I just think his heart Oh, like leaps in those moments where it's just between you and the Lord, you know? I was, um, this probably ruins this moment between me and the Lord right now by sharing, but um, it, it came to me because I was remembering this time when I was running, and um, uh, this one time that I was running, and, uh, and I was um, and I was listening to worship music, and as I was worshipping and I was going along, I just felt such an overwhelming sense of the presence of God as I was worshipping, as I was running, and I was worshipping and running, and, and, um, and I felt like um, the Lord's invitation was, let go, like, Allow yourself to worship, you know. And so I was running in this, like, along the um, trend. You know, there are some people around. Um, but I felt this invitation to, um, I don't know, just, like, be abandoned. And so I, um, I started singing really loudly whilst I was running along and just, like, you know, arms out, you know, as I was running, you know, like, looking like an absolute crazy lady. And it took some hesitation. But I felt the Lord's joy over me in such a profound way because one he loves that I'm worshiping him and I'm looking a complete idiot for him and only he knows that and now all of you but only he and I know that I think he loves those moments of intimacy that no one else sees build them in to your week build them into your day you know at work speak to him about it all chat with him In every moment, in meetings, bring him in. What does he have to say about this? When you're traveling in the car, you know, put up the worship music or or talk to him or imagine he's there, right there on the seat next to you. You know, pray out to him. Again, only he and you see. It's a beautiful moment of intimacy. You know, bring um, prayer into your parenting. You know, talk with your kids with Jesus all the time. You know, it breeds this intimacy. As we practice this stuff, it just changes our hearts. But it takes feeling a bit awkward, maybe. But it changes us as the more we practice it. I um, as I was even speaking to Jane yesterday, and I was telling her that I was doing this. Um, there's actually a picture of Jane. Um, who knows Jane? And who's met Jane's dog, Bear? Oh, my days. The love between Jane and her dog uh, is, there he is. I mean, look at the size of that head. Um, you know, but the, the love between Jane and Bear is like quite something. Um, I don't think I've ever uh, quite experienced it. It's a little bit crazy. She knows that. I can say that. Um, 
Um, but I was asking her, and we were talking about the, how much she loves Bear, and, uh, and she said, you know, can I let you into a little secret that I'm now telling you all? Um, <laughs> she knows, she knows. Um, but she says that every day, <laughs> it's quite sweet, every day before she goes to bed, she kneels down at his bed <laughs> and says to Bear, have I told you today that I love you? Every single evening. And it made me think, when we go to bed, have we told Jesus that we love him today? So maybe even just practice under your breath. You know, I love you, Jesus. It's between you and him. Build that intimacy. Only he sees. I love you, Jesus. Oh, I love you, Jesus. It will change your heart. It will change your heart. Okay, coming into land. The greatest threat then to the church is our distance from Jesus. By far, the greatest threat to the church is our distance from Jesus. Jesus concludes in verse 5. He says that if we don't do this, if we don't do these things, he will remove the lampstand from its place. And basically what Jesus is saying is um, he's going to take away himself You know, the church is made up of him. The light is Jesus. The the church is Jesus. And he's going to take away himself. The light of the church will be taken. Jesus will be taken, and it will become a shell. It's not destroying the building or us gathering, but he's gone. Daryl Johnson, Johnson again says this. He says, how many churches are but shells of their former selves? They have all the trappings, but there is no light in them. The lampstand has been taken away. Where simply love for Jesus goes, so does the light. Without first love, service becomes a lifeless routine. Without first love, endurance becomes the joyless shuffle of the stone. Without first love, orthodoxy becomes narrow-minded, nitpicking legalism. Without Jesus, the church becomes a hub of pointless activity without eternal value. All eternal value has gone. And honestly, this is like my worst nightmare ever. But it is so easy to fall into it. And so for those that are going to pursue this. For us, I hope that we are pursuing this first love. Guard it. Because the reward is Jesus. You know, verse 7 says that he is the tree of life. Because Jesus is the tree of life. The reward here is Jesus. When we do those three things, we gain him. We gain more of him. And so I guess my, my call to us all is to consider and to repent, and to do those simple things that we did at first. And let's keep Jesus right at the heart, at the center of this church. Otherwise, let's just go home. And so let's stand, and I'm just going to pray for us as the Spirit. Just maybe just where you are, I don't know where any of that lands. 
So Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're here. We just thank you for these messages of grace, of mercy, of warning. And we, um, and we take it really seriously, God. You know, Jesus, you're speaking then, but you're speaking to us now. And I'm, I take this really seriously and I stand before you and I ask that you would guard us, Lord. Holy Spirit, would you search us? Would you search us where we have fallen out of love, where we are in love with other gods? We repent. We repent, God. And Jesus, we place you on the throne. We place you above all other things. Our eternal value is in you only. And so forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, Lord. So maybe just where you are, maybe just have a bit of a a moment with the Lord as you consider, as you have your own conversation, what's the Holy Spirit stirring up in you?